Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you may I started teaching about the purpose of the church. In our declaration, there's a statement that says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall be fresh and flourishing. Now, um, Psalm 92 from verse 13 says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the course of our God. Verse 14 says, they shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. So there is always a connection between our commitment to God's house and our fruitfulness in life. Fruitfulness is always connected somehow to your commitment to the house of God. But you realize that everything you do in church, in God's house, depends on your understanding about what church is all about. So the purpose of the church is very important for us to know, because if you don't know the purpose of a thing, uh, most likely you will either abuse it or misuse it. And, you know, time and over again, we see a lot of things happening in churches, and the reason why so much disorderliness and ungodliness is manifesting in church is because that understanding about the purpose of the church is not there. In fact, even in Jesus' days, there was this problem because Jesus had to get so angry when he went to Jerusalem, entered the temple, and saw the kind of practices and activities going on in the temple. He was shocked, then he was angry, and then he could not control his anger. He had to drive people out, whip some of them according to other Bible versions, drive everybody out. So it's very important for us as children of God and as a church to understand that when we transit from the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we see the development of the concept of the house of God. Everybody say the house of God. So now the, the whole concept of the house of God came about because God wanted to communicate with mankind that there is a place that belongs to him. There's a place that belongs to him, God. There's a place where people must leave the comfort of their homes and come and meet with him and fellowship with him and interact with him so that he can also do his works in their lives. So the whole concept of the house of God started in the Old Testament with people erecting altars and then they performed sacrifices until the time of Moses, God had to instruct Moses to build a tabernacle. The tabernacle was made of tent and the reason for the tent was because the Israelites were on a journey to the promised land. They were not stationed at one place. They were traveling. But despite the fact that they were traveling, God still wanted worship to be a part of their daily practice. So he said, build a tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a temporary structure. They could erect it and then dismantle it. When it's time for them to travel, they dismantle it and the priests carry it to the next place when they encamp and then they erect it. And God taught them the exact place within the camp where the tabernacle must be erected. And then worship was performed, sacrifices were performed until they had to move again. But when the Israelites got to the land of Canaan and settled down during the time of the second king of Israel, who was David, God began to put in the hearts of the Israelites to build a permanent building, which they called the temple. The first temple in Israel was built by Solomon in Jerusalem. It was built on a place called Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah was the same place that Abraham wanted to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God thousands of years before. And that was where the temple was built. But when Jesus came, he introduced a new word. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he introduced a new word in relationship to the house of God. Jesus introduced the word church. Everybody say church. And Jesus was very emphatic about 
what he said about the church. He said, I will build my church. In other words, it's mine. It's not yours. It's mine. In other words, the church is the same as the house of God. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. It's not for us. So we cannot do things the way we like. We have freedom to do everything the way we like in our homes. But when we come to church, we are in God's house. And his word must be preeminent in the things we do. The things that are allowed. The things that are not allowed. Jesus said, I will build my church. There must be a reason why Jesus said, I will build my church. Because everything God does, there's a purpose for it. God does nothing without purpose. So what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? Last Sunday, we started looking at the purpose of the church. And number one purpose is worship. Worship. We worship God. A church is a place where we come every week to worship the God who created us. It is at that point we remind ourselves that there is a creator over our lives. There's a God who watches over us, who protects us, provides for us, and who wants to have a relationship with us. There's a God who is our father, who is not human. He is the almighty. And we worship him, and we love him, and we express our gratitude to him, and we express our allegiance to him and our commitment to him. Number one purpose of, of the church is worship. So anytime we come to church, we should be thinking about how we can worship him. Every one of us. You must have a reason why you worship God. Jesus said the Father is seeking for worshipers. And number two purpose of the church is discipleship. Discipleship means teaching the word of God to every child of God so that that child of God will develop the character of Christ. Teaching the word of God to children of God so that children of God will have knowledge and develop the character of Christ. At the end of the day, God wants everyone who is called a Christian or who is called a child of God who has given his life to Christ to have a character and a lifestyle that looks exactly like Christ. In fact, the word Christian was an, a nickname given to a particular church. That church was called a church in Antioch. They called them Christians because they said these people, they have behavior, everything they do is like Christ. So it was a nickname. Today we take it, but our lives sometimes... Is everything opposite to that of Jesus. But discipleship is about making Jesus the standard by which you model your life. By which you model your life. And that which enables us to attain that status is the word of God, the knowledge of scripture, the teaching of the word of God. That is why it's important that in every church, the word of God must be properly taught. Properly taught. Any church you go where, you know, scripture is reduced to the background. Other things have become more paramount than the word of God. You know, there's a problem there, a big problem there. But Jesus, you know, if you read the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it said, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine. Doc the word doctrine means teaching. Teaching of scripture. Teaching of the word of God. So that everyone who becomes a Christian will not be dependent on people, dependent on, on, on men of God. But they will be independent. They will be matured enough to be able to handle their spiritual lives with competence, with understanding. That is the place of winning and victory for every child of God. Knowing the word of God and knowing how to apply the word of God to every area of your life. To make the word of God a practical part of your life. Not that you go to church, and when you reach home, your life is exactly opposite the word of God. That is not Christianity. Number three purpose of the church is evangelism. Evangelism means spreading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel which means the good news. It carries power that brings salvation. The gospel carries power. Somebody say the gospel carries power. And one more time, the gospel carries power. 
It's a pastor. How powerful is the gospel? Because it is the only thing on this earth that can change the lives of a sinner. Nothing else can change a sinner. Nothing else can change a sinner except the gospel. The prison has never changed prisoners. 50% of the people going to prison right now have already been there before. Have already been there before. They come back and do the same thing that took them there in the first place. The police cannot change any criminal. Government can't change anybody. Only the gospel can come into the heart of a drug addict and change him. Only the gospel can come into the heart of a criminal, of a prostitute, of an idol worshiper. Only the gospel can come into the heart of anybody, no, regardless of who he is, and transform the person and make the person a completely new and different person. It is because of the gospel. That's why some of us today are the way we are. There is no explanation to how some of us are today if you want to look back at how we lived our lives. But you see, the gospel is so powerful. That is why we cannot keep it to ourselves. That is why we, we must not keep the gospel to ourselves. We must continue to talk about Jesus to everybody, in every tongue, in every tribe, in every place. We must talk about Jesus to our family members. We must talk about Jesus to our friends. We must talk about Jesus to our colleague workers who are not born again. We must talk about Jesus to our co-tenants. We must talk about Jesus to everybody. Yeah, that is one of the purposes of the church. And that is because it is not everybody who will come to church before he becomes saved. Some people will never come. We need to go find them out there. Yeah, that is why we have to put the gospel on social media. That is why we have to put the gospel on radio. That is why we have to put the gospel on TV. Putting the gospel on TV is not just to make our church popular or make the pastor popular. It is to reach the sinner. It is to reach the sinner. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That means that the soul of one person is more valuable than all the riches in the whole world. And this morning, I want to bless God for the life of all the people who are supporting our radio program. You have no idea how many souls are being saved, how many people make the sinner's prayer every week when we do a broadcast in all these radio stations. You have no idea how many lives are being changed. And God is going to bless you for it. I'm glad to say that the church doesn't pay for my radio program. There are people here who pay for it. And God will continue to bless you. And if you are here, you are not part of the spreading of the gospel on radio, I want to encourage you to think about it. Because it is a blessing. I said it is a blessing. Yeah, it is a blessing. That some of us, somebody had to talk to us about Jesus. So you too, there's somebody out there waiting for you to talk about him. And there are different ways we can do that. Jesus said we should go into all the world. And preach the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. The number four purpose of the church is warfare. The church was established by Jesus to contain with the kingdom of darkness, to, to subdue demonic powers within every community, within every nation. So in this nation of Ghana, how much that room the devil has to operate is determined by the church. In this community, how much room has the devil got to operate? It depends on the church. Jesus said, when you pray, pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the church is supposed to pray that the will of God in heaven concerning this community must prevail over and above the will of the devil. So the church has a mandate, a mission to pray and overthrow the principalities and powers that rule communities. The church has a mandate to stop demonic activity that bind people into all manner of evil practices, into ungodliness that destroy destinies. The devil is only the church has that mandate to make sure that the plan of God, the will of God, the blessing of God continues to flow in the community People are being saved in the community. Lives are being changed. There's development in the community. There's prosperity in the community. It is the mandate of the church. Anytime you go to a place, you see that there is poverty. There is underdevelopment. 
there is so much criminal activity. There is, you know, all the juvenile crimes are taking place. Teenage pregnancy all over the place. No great men rise up in that community. No people of destiny, you know, rise in that community. You see that either there's no church or there's a church, but the church doesn't even know why it exists there. The church doesn't know why it exists there. And when it happens like that, you will see demonic powers. You will see occultism very strong in the place. You will see fetish and idol worship. You will see fetish priests, you know, controlling the lives of people. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It means that the gates of hell will try to fight, only that they will not prevail. So the church has a mandate to contend, to fight. And that is why the devil hates the church. The devil hates the church. And if you are a mature Christian, you should understand that Satan hates the church more than anything else. He hates the church more than he hates the government. He hates the church more than he hates any other thing. That is why only the church is always under attack every day. For the 1,000 good things the church does, nobody talks about it. One wrong thing the church does, it will be news all over the place. Other institutions are doing worse things. Nobody wants to talk about it because that is not a subject of hatred. But the devil hates the church, and that is why the church must understand its purpose and know that when Jesus builds a church, that church is not there to fellowship with Satan. There are churches where you go, you see that Satan has completely taken over the church, taken over the church. He's taken over the pastor. They take over the music. They take over the prayer departments. They take over all the leaders, and the church is completely going in the wrong direction. That will never happen here. It will never happen here. That is why people who want to be pastors must be properly trained. Pastoral work is not something you just carry Bible and say, God has called you. Pastoral work requires training. You need to know how to handle a church, that you are in the forefront of warfare and attack. If you say God has called you to be a pastor, you should understand. It's not a joke. It's not noise. It's not shout. It's not cheap talk. It is work. Spiritual work. Spiritual work. Last Wednesday, around 1 a.m., I had a call. Somebody was seriously sick. I said, I'm in the chapel praying. Bring, bring her. I was in the chapel praying with all the pastors. I said, bring the pastor. It is spiritual work. It's not dressing nice and come and stand here and say, shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is good. There's more than that. There's more than that. When you see a church like this, where lives are being transformed every day, God is blessing people. People are prospering. Doors are opening for people. Young people are building their own houses, driving their own cars to church. Prosperous business, having good marriages. When you see a church like this where, you know, the word of God is making impact on the people, it, is the, it, it doesn't happen by accident. It is not by accident. So don't sit there and think, oh, it's, it's God. That's why it's happening. Yeah, it's God. But God uses somebody. Yeah, Pastor Kujo said, I mean, without a man of God, there's no work of God. The man of God makes what the church what it is. And so that is why prayer is very important in a church. That's why prayer is very important in a church. And that is why prayer meetings are very important. You see, prayer meetings are not only for poor people. It is for every good Christian. There are people in every church, including the church, who think that prayer meetings are for poor people. When I say prayer, oh, oh, let them go. No. We are supposed to come and pray for the church and pray for the community and pray the will of God and the plan of God. Prayer meetings are not only for poor people. When we have a service for prayer, like Friday services, like Tuesday services, I expect to see more people. You may not have any need, but you can pray for somebody. Your prayer can, can help bring, I mean, the work of God to continue. So I want to encourage more people to join the intercessory department and pray for the church. It's a blessing to pray for the church. Once a week, come and pray on Saturdays for just, I don't even know how many hours they pray, one hour, because, you know, these days nobody wants to pray long. But we want big blessings, but we don't want to pray. I mean, come and pray for the church. It is your church. Don't you know and tell him it's your church. Number four, five, and we are in five. Okay, I just wanted to check whether you are listening. Number five purpose of the church is ministry. Everybody say ministry. The word ministry means solution to people's problems. 
One of the reasons why Jesus established the church is to ensure that there's a place where children of God come to meet with God so that God can listen to their prayer, listen to their needs, reach out, release his power to bring solution to their problems. In the book of Matthew chapter 21, from verse 13, verse 13, and he said to them, it is written, my house. In other words, Jesus said, everything I'm doing and telling, talking to you now, it is scriptural. That's Jesus. It is written, my house. Somebody say, my house. I like the way Jesus claims ownership over the church. Don't sell it cheap to the devil. The church is for Christ. It's for God. We won't give it up to the devil for any reason. He said, my house shall be called what? A house of prayer. But you have made it what? A den of thieves. In other words, prayer has been taken out of the church. And the rest is what? Fraud. The rest is what? Fraud. Stealing, defrauding people, exploiting people, cheating people. You have made it a den of thieves. You have made it a den of thieves. My house shall be what? The house of prayer. Prayer. What does that mean? My house is a place where children of God must come and do what? And do what? Pray. Pray about their needs. Pray about their marriage. Pray about their businesses and career. Pray about their health. Pray about everything. Solution. The church is a place of solution. The reason why Jesus established the church is so that people won't come to church. When they close, they have problems. They are running to the shrine. God forbid. I'll never pastor a church like that. That's why when God called me, I went to God. I said, God, give me the anointing. It took years of praying, but I got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It took years of praying. Because I can't imagine that somebody from here will go to a shrine. Okay, you are still free to go. But at least it's not because I can't solve your problem. I have enough testimony to prove to you that you don't need to go to shrine to be blessed in this church. You have made it a den of thieves. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Then... What happened? Talk to me. The blind and the lame came to him. Where? In the temple. After he drove out all those frosters and thieves and crooks. How we Jesus will be moving from church to church these days? But you know why he cannot do that? Because not all churches belong to him. Some of the churches doing all those evil things, they don't even belong to Christ in the first place. So he is not there. So he doesn't have any business with them. It is occultic, demonic people who have decided to, instead of being at the shrine, you know, wearing calico and all manner of things, they realize people, these days people are becoming digital and sophisticated. Nobody wants to go to the shrine again. They put the, you know, calico and stuff aside and they wear suits and they build church. It is still a shrine. It is still a shrine. Say, Pastor, how do you know? Everything happening there tells you because Jesus is never preached there. Jesus is never spoken about there. The knowledge of the word is not the concern of the people. Transformation of life is not the concern of the people. It's all fraud. Fraud and deception. And the day you go to such places, may God punish you. <laughs> Everybody shall say amen. amen. If you live here, if you live here, you see there's some special oils somewhere. Thousand. You won't bring me that money to eat and pray for you. When you go buy such oil, may God punish you. May your problem increase. You don't need all those special water, special oil, special handkerchief, special salt, special charcoal. Eh? You don't need it. Turn to them and tell them you don't need it. You tell me right and I say, I don't need it. God will bless you here. God will transform your life here. God will prosper you here. Yes, in your lifetime, you will see that your life has become a testimony. You know, because we serve a living God. God is not dead. Bible said, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he didn't sympathize with them. He didn't um, 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 and console them. 
He didn't tell them to go and come another day. Bible said he healed them. Do you know why Jesus did that? He wanted to tell the people this is the purpose of the church. This is it. Heal the sick in the church. Heal the sick in the church. Solve people's problems in the church. Change lives in the church. You know, God is not that wicked that you serve him all your life and remain the same. It's not possible. God is not that wicked that with all the power he has, you keep coming to his house every day to worship him, to love him. And all he does is to keep looking at you and your situation remains the same. God is not like that. He loves to solve problems. He loves to, to hear his children call up to him. First, first Peter 3.12, give it to me. He said, the eyes of the Lord is upon the righteous. Sometimes when God, when Sunday, when God doesn't see you in church, he misses you. Like, oh, my daughter didn't come to this week. What happened? Because he loves to see you in his house. Look at this on the screen. He said, for the eyes of the Lord are on who? Somebody say, on me. Yes. When he say righteous, it means every child of God. God's eyes are upon you. He's watching you. But that is not the end of the story. He said, and what? His ears are open to what? So he's watching you, but nothing changes because he's watching you. He's watching you. Somebody say, he's watching me. But why is he watching you? He's watching to see when you start praying. Change comes in response to prayer. Ask and you receive. Ask and you receive. You receive not because you do not ask. That is scripture. He said his ears are open to their prayers. So the house of God is a place where we come and pray concerning our needs. Yeah, but he said what? The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Against those who do evil. But for you who is a child of God, his eyes are watching over you. Let's read um, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 from verse 10. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, joyful, glad of heart for the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Go to verse 11. Does Solomon finish the house of the Lord and the king's house? And Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. May he appear to you one of these days. Amen. Somebody's life is about to change. Amen. I said somebody's life is about to change. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God will bless and prosper you because he has favored you. Amen. Lift your right hand and say, I am favored by God. I, I don't care what the devil does about it. The devil cannot do anything about it. The favor of God is upon my life. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. God said to Solomon, this temple you build, I have chosen it as my house. Yeah, so when we come together and we build a church for him, he adopts it, he takes over it. He said, now it's mine. Look at verse 13. He said, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, this scripture is related to prayer in the house of God, not prayer everywhere. Because he told Solomon, Solomon first of all, that I have adopted this house, I have chosen this house, this place as my house. In other words, he was telling them, and whenever you have a problem, go to my house and pray. Go to my house and pray. So every time we have a prayer meeting, either Tuesday or Friday, it's an opportunity for you to come and talk to God about your life. Talk to God about yourself. Very important. Talk to God about your life and about yourself. Number six, fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Somebody say they continued. Steadfastly. That means it was a deliberate commitment. It was not a once in a while practice. It was something that they did constantly. Constantly. They did what? Continued in the apostles' doctrine. That one is what? Teaching. Discipleship. Then, not, that is not all. Fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship simply means making the house of God 
place of relationship and family building. Making the house of God a place where people who are all children of God can develop a new line of godly relationships. Fellowship means interaction. Fellowship means we all don't come to church as individuals to deal with God, ignore everybody else, and go back home. Fellowship means we come to church as individuals, we worship God, but we also relate with everybody who is a part of the church with love. Fellowship means we don't disrespect people because of their tribe, because of their status, because of their background, or because of their gender. Fellowship means you treat everybody in the church as a brother and as a sister. It doesn't mean everybody in the church should be your friend, but fellowship means love should exist in the house of God. The Bible said, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Next verse. Now all who believed were together and all who, who believed were what? Together. That is fellowship. There was unity. There was understanding. It doesn't mean in this church there, was, there were no misunderstanding between people. So how do I know? Because they were human. They are human. This church doesn't mean that nobody quarreled. They might have quarreled, but they resolve it. They might have had misunderstandings. People offend one another, but they resolve it. They forgive one another and they relate like a family. He said, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. How many of you know we have a lot of common grounds as Christians in this church? All of us. Yeah. The number one common ground is Jesus. The same Jesus that saved me is the same Jesus that saved you. Number two common ground is the blood of Jesus. The same blood of Jesus that redeemed me is the same blood that redeemed you. Yeah. Number three common ground is that we are all children of God. So if you are a child of God, I'm a child of God. As to why you and I can't agree is a big question. Children of the same father, enemies, one among each other. To tell a child of God, you are my enemy, is an error. That only God can have mercy on you. Don't make an enemy of another child of God, especially the person who is a member of your church. It's ungodly. It is ungodly. It is evil. It's vicious. Okay, so continuing daily with one accord. Continuing daily with what? One accord. This is not Honda Accord. It's a one accord. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple. In the temple. Fellowship is what makes a church to exist with such love and unity and understanding. I, I mentioned three words. Love. Everybody say love. love. Unity. And understanding. Very important. In the temple. And breaking bread from house to house. That means they didn't only show love to one another in church. They took it beyond the church. They visited each other in their homes. They visited each other in their homes. Ate in each other's homes. Show love to each other. When somebody is sick, the whole church is concerned. When somebody is bereaved, the whole church is concerned. If somebody has a problem, the whole church is concerned. That is fellowship. Because sometimes you can have somebody come to church, give his life to Christ, and he has to lose all his friends. Because all his friends are unbelievers. They are ungodly. At least if the criminal comes to church, he becomes born again. He's not supposed to keep his criminal friends. He's supposed to make new friends in the church. The sad thing is, people who come to church, be careful with that guy. He was a criminal. No, he was a criminal means that he deserves the benefit of the doubt. Somebody must afford to trust the person and make the effort. That's why sometimes some of these bad people, when they come to church, they are not able to stay. It's because everybody stigmatized them. Oh, be careful with that lady. She's a bad lady. You know, she was a prostitute. Don't get yourself, don't mingle with such people. But we were all sinners. I said, we were all sinners. Only the grace saved us and changed us and transformed us. So you can't be judgmental against people. Take me to Romans chapter 12 from verse 10. Can we read it together? Ready, go. He said, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Do you know what is brotherly love? The love that exists between two brothers. I don't know why they didn't call it sisterly love, you know. Today, I, I, I don't want to say anything bad. But anytime you meet two brothers, especially born of the same father and mother, there's something about their relationship. Bible says, let brotherly love. So they will fight each other right now. Brothers, they fight a lot. But let somebody else come attack one of them. You see his brother putting all those problems aside, and then he's ready to fight. 
you know one thing about, about boys? They don't hold grudge for long. Boys will quarrel right now, the next minute. That thing is, is, is one of those things, to put it as that. Not with ladies. Hey. Just like that. You know, ladies can hold grudge 10 years and with fresh memory. When they are narrated to you what happened, you think that thing happened yesterday. <laughs> Brothers will fight right now. The next minute, in fact, sometimes they can suspend the fight, address some important issues, find solution to it, and go back to the fight. But that is family, hello? That is family. Family means that you disagree with people on issues, but you don't hate them. Yeah, you don't hate them. You disagree with people, but you don't hate them. It is not good to hate a church member. You can disagree based on convictions and what you think. I mean, Jesus said, if your neighbor offend you, call him and tell him. Have you heard it in the scripture before? Okay. It means there will be offense in the church. I think it's in Luke 17. It means there will be offense in the church. Turn to them and tell him, you know, you know something, brother. There's nothing I can do about it. I will always offend you. <laughs> so get used to it. <laughs> get used to it. Get used to me. This is it. Whether you are angry with me or not, I'm still your brother. I'm still your sister. Get used to me. He said, let brotherly love continue. Give me back the scripture in Romans 12.10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, which means respect. Respect everybody in the church. Everybody is important here. The person who drove the best car to church and the person who walked to church, they are all important. We are all somebody. We are all somebody. We are all important. In honor, treat your neighbor in church with respect. That is fellowship. Don't talk to people rudely anyhow. Don't insult people in church. And when you do, because you are human, when you do, apologize. Apologize. When you realize you have offended somebody, apologize. And let that matter go and move on. You don't know tomorrow. You don't know the person you are holding in your heart. You don't know. You are not God. You don't have control of tomorrow. So don't wait till you say, oh, he, you have hated this guy all your life. Until one day he's the only person you can tend to. That is not wisdom at all. In honor, giving preference to one another. Giving what? Preference to one another. The book of um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. It says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I write to you. It doesn't require a whole chapter of writing. Paul said the reason is because God has taught you. He said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, he said what? What do you do? Go and tell your neighbor. Go and tell somebody else. You know, you know what we do? Your brother offend you. Instead of calling and telling you, go and tell somebody else. And then you begin with a statement like, can you imagine? There's a church I know like that. When somebody's angry, they introduce the subject. Can you imagine? Don't go talk to somebody. Call the brother. Tell him his fault between you and him. Alone. Somebody say alone. Mm -hmm. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. You have corrected him. If he hears you, you have corrected him. If he hears you, it means there are people who hear when you draw their attention to it. Yeah. It means we should be humble enough when people come to us and say, Brother, last week you did something, I'm not happy. You shouldn't say, and so what? If somebody comes to you and says, Sister, there's something bothering me, there's something you did. I'm not happy about it at all. You don't open your mouth and say, and so what? Or you open your mouth and say, I don't care. You should be able to say, oh, is that so? I'm sorry about it. Even before you hear what is bothering the person, if you are very mature, you should be able to say, I'm sorry. We don't say sorry only because we are wrong. We say sorry because we have offended somebody. Do you hear what I said? You don't say sorry when you are wrong. You say sorry because somebody is angry with you. And the purpose of saying sorry is to appease the anger so that you can resolve the issue. And I can tell you, even after saying sorry, after you people have finished talking, sometimes the person will realize 
he rather was wrong. He can realize he is wrong. But saying sorry helps. It facilitates conflict resolution. You are back to look. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. What do you do? Forgive him. Verse 4. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall what? Forgive him. <laughs> you shall forgive him. So give me back the scripture in uh, Matthew. There's something important that I want to say. Verse 16. Look at verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. This is Jesus' teaching. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen. That means excommunicating. So people can be sacked from a church because they behave ungodly. They do everything wrong. A brother calls and correct, they won't change. The brother calls other people to talk to him. So Jesus said, it starts with you. It starts with who? You. You talk to the person. Oh, I'm sorry. You forgive. Between the two of you, you've, that case is finished. You put it behind you. But if he will not listen, call other people. And that other people could mean leaders. Go to your leader if you are in a department. If you're not in a department, still look for one elderly person or one good leader, somebody who is mature enough, especially somebody that the person was offended you will respect. And go and tell them, this thing is bothering me. Sister so-and-so is doing this thing. I'm not happy about it. I thought you should call us so that we can address it. That is how godly people behave. Don't also decide, hey, this is what you are doing, eh? Okay. I'll show you that me, I can do it more. You know, sometimes I get surprised how people are ready to allow somebody to determine how they live their lives. For instance, you decide when you are coming to church that you are going to be nice looking and smile. Then somebody with his own problem from the house decided that he will frown at you. Suddenly you two say, eh. You think you, think you can frown more than me, eh? You don't know that when it comes to frowning, me, I'm a graduate. <laughs> then you, now you, you, you charge yourself up. And you frown. Do you know what you are doing? You have lost control over your own mood and actions. And you have handed it over to somebody to control for you. Why don't you stop looking at the person who has frowned and look at somebody else who has smiled and continue service? Jesus said, people will offend you in the church. And the reason why people offend you is because, you know why? Because we are human. That is number one reason. We are human. And every human being offends. Number two reason why there will be offense in the church is because not everybody coming to church is coming as a perfect person. We all came with our issues. We came so that God would transform us. But for now, I am not perfect. God is still awakening on my life. So give me a break. That is it. Nobody is perfect. In fact, the worst one, number three reason why there will be offense in the church, because some people, they didn't come to worship God. They came for other reasons. There are people who intentionally hurt you. There are people, they have their way, they will make you stop coming to church. That's why you must know why you, you came to church in the first place. There are people whose calling and ministry is sucking people from a ch every church. Tell lies against you. They will insult you. They will frown at you. They will misbehave towards you. They will do things. They will hurt you. They will do things against you. If they have their way, they will steal your belongings. Oh yeah, that's why people's, people's phones get missing in church. People's bus gets missing in church. I'm not talking about another church. I'm talking about this church. People's iPad disappear in church. Money gets missing in church. But you have to know why you are here. That not all of us, not all of us are perfect people. The last purpose of the church is charity. Everybody say charity. Let's go to Matthew 25, verse 33. Matthew 25, verse 33. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the ghost on the left. May you be among the sheep. I said you will be among the sheep. Because as I look at you, you don't look like a goat. In Jesus' name. Do you know the meaning of goat? Do you know the things a goat is capable of doing? Stubborn. 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 I believe that if it's about behavior, nobody should rear a goat. The only reason why we rear goats, you know why? The meat is nice. But as for character and behavior, oh my God. You can put a ghost in a fence, tie the goat, 
close the fence nicely. All the sheep will remain inside. Goat will find ways and means and go out. So Jesus said, the sheep will be on the right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, I surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of, my, of these my brethren, you did it to me. The church is a place where we care about the poor and the needy. The church is a place where as God bless us, we must clothe the naked. And when I say church, I don't mean the offering on the altar. I mean all of us. All of us. Thank you, He's talking about all of us. That your old shoe you want to throw away is breakthrough for somebody. You can repair it nicely. Sometimes God has blessed you with money. You got breakthrough. Buy new dresses. Look at the ones that are not spoiled, not torn. Iron them. Wash them. Iron them nicely. Look for a brother. You have no idea. Somebody is praying for a shoe. You have shoes that you will not use again. At the level God has blessed you, you will never use that shoe again. Sometimes the Saturday we even throw them away. Some of us here, you have food left over, you throw away. But there are people in this church who don't have food to eat. That's the scripture. Don't say, oh, everybody must believe God for his own. Yes, there's a place for believing God. There's a place for supporting one another. If a member of this church has a problem and is arrested and put in prison, how many will go? Or will say, oh, but Bible said, whatever we sow is what we reap. So as you sow evil, you reap prison. The Lord be with you. No, Jesus said, I was in prison. I was in prison. Listen, it means that a Christian can be jailed. Yes. Sometimes for doing wrong, sometimes for even not doing wrong. But a Christian, a church member can be jailed. A church member can be admitted at the hospital. He said, I was in the hospital. I said, I was sick. You did not visit me. Some of us, we don't care about anybody in the church. Funeral, we will never attend. Some of you, since you joined this church, you've never gone to anybody's funeral. Oh, brother, so and so is bereaved. Oh, you don't care. And yet, when you are bereaved, you believe that the whole church must come. I don't know why people think that way. I don't know why people have that thinking, that attitude, that only you are important. Everybody else is useless. Don't care about anybody. You've never done anything for anybody in this church before. No matter your condition now, somebody's case is worse than yours. You see, for God to lift you up, look for somebody below your level and help the person. Yeah. That is it. There comes a time in people's lives only the church can help. Yeah, yeah, only the church can help. Somebody to survive temporarily until he can put himself together. That is why the church must not be poor. I said that is why the church must not be poor. Yeah, that's why the church must have money. And for the church to have money, it is we that must give. Anytime you hear that the church is helping somebody in need, don't be angry. We cannot do it for everybody. If you are blessed, and please, you see, the fact that the church is helping one one poor or needy person does not mean you should do it for everybody. Yeah, you know, last year during the COVID, we put together as much money as we can get, and we bought food and other things we were sharing. I thought we should start from the most needy people, and as we finish, we can get to other people. But you see, we were not having church, so we didn't have enough money. Some people were angry that they give food to somebody, they didn't give to us. But we didn't have enough money to give everybody. We try to reach the people that are needy. The sad thing is for some people, even no matter how God bless you, you still call yourself needy. No matter how God has blessed people, you still, call, see, you still believe that you are a needy person. Because we like free things. People were angry with me. I heard it all. Complained. Said things. And some of the people, when I heard it, I said, oh, but you, by God's grace, and by the blessing of God in this church, I don't need to bring you a five kilo rice before you survive. I didn't take any of those rice to my house. Are you hearing me? Yes. I have never. Anything they call for the poor, I have never want to touch it. Never. Are you listening to me? Yeah. There are things I do for, for the needy. 
I know I'm taking your time, but it's, it's, it's helping us. I said it's helping us. There are things I do for the needy I will never do for myself. You know this check pays people's fees. Do you know that? Mm -hmm. We pay people's fees, depending on our strength. When I was doing my master's program, I remember very well, Samson, he asked him, Pastor, why don't you let the check pay it? I said, no, you bring me money, let me pay. People gave me money to pay for my fees, but I did not apply to the church. You know, when my wife was in the university, she was in the same class with another church member. I don't want to mention his name. My wife was in the same class with another church member. The church was paying the guy's fees. But I told my wife, the church cannot pay your fees because you are not a needy person. Yes. I told my wife, I said, we, we cannot put you in the same class with that guy. I said, I'll support you. We will pay the fees. Initially, my wife was not happy at all. Thank God she's not here as I say. And I know nobody would tell her. Because I have a principle in life. Where God has taken you from, don't send your son back there. Ah. When God takes you out of a situation, don't put yourself back there because of cheap free things you get. No. If today God has blessed you, you can take care of yourself and feed yourself. Be grateful to God for it. And when I say, poor people, come and take something. Sit down. Something will be pushing you. Go, go, go. Don't go. When you go, listen, I am teaching you a very important principle of faith. When you go, you see, you have reduced yourself back to where God took you from. So sometimes I help people up to a point. I look at them. I say, no, where God has taken you to, let me look for somebody else. I withdraw the help because God can take care of you. We all have been helped before, but for you to be helped the rest of your life is not godly. Hope you've been blessed by today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.